Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You might be very well right, but I think what we've seen with this team is that when it look when they when they look for defensive pieces, they are so rare that they're just going to go with, well, he worked out before, and we don't have other options. I mean, when they when they let Peyton walk, maybe that was a mistake. But when you have put yourself in the kind of financial bind they're in, Gary Payton making $9 million a year is all of a sudden $63 million. And that's where the tax kills you. Because now all of a sudden you can't be a deep team anymore with the with the pieces that you like to rely on in the past, um, you know that. I'm, I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying that Andre Iguodala has magic still in his legs, but that's the percentage play they're trying to make. Right. You and know. What? I guess you know maybe this is the benefit. Of, uh, you know, hindsight always being 2020. But it does seem a little foolish now that this team really cast this year's die on 19, 20-year-olds and a 39-year-old. Maybe you should have met in the middle. You know, maybe, maybe we should have looked for a player who wasn't either at the breaking dawn or the final hour of their career in which to place the hope of this season. Well, they, they thought... That Jermichael Green would be better than he's been. That I mean, that was that was part of the plan. Yep. That didn't turn out. Um, they, you know, they thought Dante DiVincenzo would be helpful, and he has been. He has but been. he didn't start that way because he was hurt. I mean, they made they made gambles on those guys in their roster that didn't work out or didn't work out quickly enough. And even now, I don't know that Dante DiVincenzo was a superior defender. I mean, he is what he is. They lost the ability to have a roster that had more lockdown guys than the other got, team had guys. That's where the difference is. And relying on young people because you've fallen in love with the two-track plan, you know, A, that's the risk you run when you start to try to put a time stamp on the core of your team. I mean, there's a reason why the Boston Celtics, when they won their last championship in 1969, basically ending that run of 11 championships in 13 years, every one of those guys was unbelievably old. I mean, they looked like that that painting of the three patriots, you know, the, the guy with the fife, the guy with the drum, and the guy with the limp. They were the oldest team ever, and they won on muscle memory. 
they didn't try to do you know well we're gonna we're gonna all of a sudden we're gonna have a young team and an old team that one's never worked well and it's had, rarely I mean, tried multiple hall of famers in a league that had what 11 good teams at most ever but it's still how is that that how is it that much different than this than this iteration of the warriors their three best guys are in their mid-30s I mean that's not that's not disputable. Well, when your three best guys are in their mid thirties, you probably your breaking case of emergency player shouldn't be thirty nine or twenty. I mean, I think they thought that Green and DiVincenzo would be the new bridge guys to replace Porter and Peyton because a year ago nobody thought Porter or Peyton was going to help much until all of a sudden late in the year they did help. Today, Bob Myers on the executive show basically said out loud something that after the fact probably was the choice that they should have made with the pick that they used on James Wiseman. Here's Bob Myers today, and you can almost hear him talking through the process and then realizing after the fact, yeah, that probably would have been the better thing to do. We took the best players, not with an idea that these guys are going to carry us to the promised land, because no matter who we drafted at that time, after we had guest traded for Wiggins, you look at the roster and you go, okay, Steph, Clay coming back, Wiggins, Draymond, Looney, and Poole was kind of coming around. So that's six guys that are pretty good, and you say, okay, what rookie, young or old, is going to come in and get 30 minutes or get 25 minutes with that team? Maybe if there was a guy that and maybe there was, but it's hard to predict who that would have been. And then you take that guy, but I think decisions are made, and we make them, you make them, with the information you have at the time. And then you look back and you evaluate whether they were smart or not. But um, it's tough because most of the, if you look at the draft, 20 out of the 30 guys are freshmen, maybe more now, if you look at the history of the first round over the last three years. So they're all pretty much that age. So the argument, better argument, Matt, is trade the pick. Just trade it for a vet. But again, you don't know. You don't know where you are on the cusp of things. Maybe that's what they should have done. Just trade number two for a player who will absolutely not be 19 who's played three games at an off-brand Memphis campus. Well, it wasn't off-brand. No, it's been a while since Keith Lee was there getting it done. Yeah, but I mean, Penny Hardaway's had a pretty good program there. But be that as it may, we don't have... Yeah, but it's still a pretty good program. Their problem was this. They drafted for need at a position where there wasn't anybody to get. So you probably should have flipped that for your need and an already realized serviceable NBA entity. But the the musical question is, what was that serviceable entity that you would trade the number two pick in the draft to get? Because they wanted size. They made it clear they wanted size. Who Who was the size guy in the NBA who A, would be available, and B, would be worth the second pick in the draft? I don't think there. I don't think one of those exists. Aiden, they were either going mean, to look. I'm, I'm not saying he would have been the right fit, but I just know that Aiton was. You know, his career in Phoenix was very much in flux because of the relationship with his own coach and him wanting out of there. So maybe I mean that's just you know that's the first big man whose name popped into my mind. But that was two years later when they turned on Aiton. Okay, so I mean that that's out of the timeline. I think they were without realizing it. They were fairly screwed. If they decided we need a big guy, makes sense. Who's the best big guy in this draft? James Weissman. He probably still is the best big guy in that draft. Yeah. Because there are only four of them, and the other three have played fewer games than he has. He makes his 
Pistons debut tonight in Boston. By the way, also making their debut tonight as a tandem. We got Luca and Kyrie. They're in Denver. Denver's only lost four games at home all year by a combined, I believe, eight points. They're really tough to beat at home. This is Miles in Napa. Miles, you're on 95.7 The Game. Hello. Hey, Damon. Uh, longtime fan, man. Um, I'm just calling in. I think we need to be a little uh, easier on them. I know it's uh, it's our team, and we always have a lot of emotion around the Warriors just because Steph, how he plays, with you know, so much joy. And I feel like he comes into our homes, you know, with, with the emotion. But I think it's just so hard to go back-to-back. And the five years... You know, we got. I'm 33, and I used to have season tickets. And oh, look, a lot n- of bad nobody's mad. I'm not trying to come off as mad. I just think some some decisions that didn't work out are defensible. And to me, the more I look at it, the retention of Andre Iguodala. That Andre Iguodala was a luxury item in a season where you needed more bare necessities than actual luxury items. And it it sort of had that feeling the entire time. And I can't believe they never came off their luxury item for the bare necessity that they need. That, to me, is the one, like, it's been obvious all year, you got to do something. And they didn't do it. And well, what is that something? Well, I don't know. But doing nothing certainly wasn't the plan. And doing nothing has gotten you 29 and 29, and that is what it is feel. And what I'm suggesting is not that Andre Iguodala is a magician just waiting to appear. That's what they're hoping, because they didn't have a better alternative. There wasn't a guy who could do the things he could do available to them because, and let's not forget this part, they are cap strangled. And they have finally reached the point where Joe Lacob is making decisions based on money. Because that's what happened with Gary Payton II after a superb playoff. They let him go because of money. They are now at that wall that every other team reaches a lot sooner than they do. And they did the same to a lesser extent with Porter too, who was also very helpful to them. If they wanted to run this back, they should have maybe said... You know what? Damn what the taxes are. But that's not what the owner wanted anymore. He wanted to start getting some bargains. And lo and behold, bargains aren't there. When we do come on back, uh, I mentioned that the Warriors are a little bit like Derek Carr because they're being asked to put up a ridiculous amount of points to win. Somebody here on the text line says, oh, please leave Derek Carr out of this. He's garbage. The Warriors are not. Well, you're right about half of that. The Warriors are not garbage. They're just frustrating. Derek Carr was the best thing that the the Raiders had, and now they've got a wide receiver without a quarterback. Good luck with that. Man, Derek Carr had a tough, tough time. Uh, greener pastures for him. We're going to get into that question and a whole bunch of others with Peter King, who joins us next for his end of the year interview about the NFL. We're looking forward to it. And we got Steve Kerr live at five. More of your calls, more to hear from, a lot to get into this afternoon. It's Damon and Ratto here on 95.7 The Game. And uh, let's see. Uh, we are brought to you by the Inn at the Tides. Book your getaway to Bodega Bay at the iconic Inn at the Tides. Their midweek winter special offers the lowest rates of the year, starting at just $199 per night. Enjoy stunning views, refreshed rooms, and a free breakfast. Book now at Inn at the Tides. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. 
Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now back to Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game. It is a Warriors Wednesday brought to you by Friedman's Appliance, a trusted name since 1922. Visit Friedman'sAppliance.com today. Steve Kerr will join us live at 5, but right now we're talking to the King about corn dogs and Super Bowls and off-season plans. And we're kind of putting a bow on the entire NFL season. Peter King, nice enough to join us for his weekly Hey, How Are You? here on Damon and Ratto. And that that bit of information you uncovered, talking to Andy Reid about the play that won the Super Bowl, basically. They ran it to both sides of the field. I guess that's corn dog right and corn dog left. Is that what we're, we're looking at here, Peter? Yeah, I mean... You know, so you saw in a bit of an ugly way how the sausage was made because, honestly, I, I, okay, so l- let me set the scene a little bit for you. Two weeks before this game, at the end of the AFC Championship game, I spent 10 minutes with Andy Reid in his office after the game, uh, and I said, hey, listen, when you win the Super Bowl, I'm going to want to spend some time with you after the game, and I really want to 
write and talk about the winning play, the winning pass in this game. And so, obviously, you're buttering him, buttering him up a little bit, but I've known Andy for a long time. Did you know that when Andy played football at Brigham Young when he was in college, his goal in life, he's written this, was to write about football for Sports Illustrated. <laughs> and uh, so that's what he wanted to do. He didn't ever think he'd be in the NFL. And he wasn't in the NFL as a player, but obviously he's been in the NFL as a coach. I met him in 1995 covering the Green Bay Packers when he was the tight end coach for the Packers. So I've known him now for whatever is that, 28 years or whatever it is. So so anyway, the point, the only reason I say that is that I told him a couple of weeks ago that I wanted to uh, talk to him about the winning play in the game uh, that he would call, obviously. And so you know how everybody says sports writers don't root uh, for teams. I don't root for teams. I root for my story. And I knew my story would probably be better at the end of the day if Kansas City won, even though I think I was going to get some good stories out of Nick Sirianni as well. But anyway, the point is that, you know, at the end of this game, I went down to see Andy Reid, and he told me about this. And I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know how it was portrayed in the video, my videographer, Annie Koblitz, this was a cubicle that we were in, a very small office. And she scrunched herself into the corner and barely could fit our two large bodies into the, you know, into the video. But anyway, I, when he said, well, the first thing he said was corn dog, I'm thinking to myself, he's, he's kidding me. That's the, he, they don't call a play corn dog. And, and again, they did call the play corn dog. As Eric B. Enemy told me, I don't know, ten minutes later, he go. I said, "Why in the world you call it corn dog?" And he said, "Well, because we like to eat." <laughs> and you know the coaching staff. And but really, if you think of what coaches do when they name plays, is they name it based on like corn. Okay, this was a corner route run by Kadarius Tony. And so <clears throat> when you say that it is corn dog, you got to figure that something in there has corn as the first syllable. And it was. It was a corner route. So Kadarius Tony sprints on jet motion, stops, comes back, runs a corner route, and that's it. But anyway, that's sort of the, the story of corn dog. Um. Do most play, uh, I don't want to say gadget plays, because that's demeaning to the play, but do most plays get called in the huddle like that, just like two words and you're done? Or do they Ray, do they like to Ray, wrap I'll themselves you, up in verbiage? That is a great question, okay? And, you know, a bunch of people have said to me, there's no way Mahomes would in this, the, the thing is called corn dog. I'll tell you the reason why Andy Reid did not want to tell me every word of the route it's because a lot of those a lot of the words in the route the first you know six or seven words in what mahomes said in the huddle are basically the words of the formation that they use so if they give away the words of the formation that are used andy reed's going to have to go to training camp next year 
and, you know, change the words of the formation. And at the end of it, the end is the words of the running play that Patrick Mahomes is going to call because, remember, on this play, this was not supposed to be a pass to Kadarius Toney. The number one thing when they left the huddle (laughs) was that Patrick Mahomes was probably going to hand this to Jarek McKinnon, who was a sidecar to him as the uh, shotgun quarterback in the backfield. The reason why he changed his mind and did not give the ball to Jarek McKinnon is very simple. He is supposed to look when when Kadarius Tony goes into motion. Patrick Mahomes' job at that moment is to see when Kadarius Tony turns around and goes back to the sidelines, is anyone following him? If somebody is right on him, he's going to hand the ball to Jarek McKinnon. But what he saw at that moment was that that uh, no one was following. Kadarius Tony back to the sidelines. As soon as the ball was snapped, Tony ran a sideline route, and there were no Philadelphia Eagles within 11 yards of Kadarius Tony when he caught the ball. Easiest touchdown Kadarius Tony will ever catch in his life. Easiest one. And he caught it at a crucial time in the Super Bowl. Peter King with us here on 95 7 The Game. There is so much to like about Kansas City, looking at them for the fun that they are in the moment, looking at Mahomes already as an historical figure, watching Andy Reid take you know the pretense out of coaching by calling a play corn dog. Like there's so much to like and and be mesmerized by by this dominant offense that we've seen the Chiefs have for five plus years now. But are we maybe? And I hate to work only on the side of the negative, sort of blowing our coverage of the Super Bowl, because this really is, I think, maybe as much as a defensive breakdown for a team that actually walked into a Super Bowl with an impressive defensive reputation as we've ever seen. Like, I'm not trying to say the Eagles blew it, but the Eagles blew it in that second half. The Eagles blew it. The Eagles blew it. And, Damon, I'm so glad that you said that. And look... Great year for the Eagles. Fantastic year for the Eagles. They deserved everything that they got. They got a couple of breaks at the end, particularly against the Niners. I get it. I I understand all that. But the Eagles proved that they were the second-best team in football and, quite honestly, might easily have – not easily, but, I mean, it would not have been at all surprising if they won the Super Bowl. But – You know, I wrote this in my column Monday, and look, I do not have anything against Jonathan Gannon, the Eagles defensive coordinator Sunday night, now the Arizona Cardinals head coach. But I wrote this. I felt for Jonathan Gannon because if I were doing the interview in Tempe, Arizona, on Monday, before he got hired, I would have said to him, hey, Okay, it's it's understandable that a very rarely called motion <clears throat> by Kadarius Tony would have resulted in a touchdown with 12 minutes left in the game. And okay, anybody can get can get fooled once. I understand. They only ran this once 
in 1,200 previous offensive snaps this year. But they ran it with 12 minutes left in the game. And then three minutes later, three minutes later on the next series, on the left-hand side of the formation, Sky Moore did it. And you know what Philadelphia did? Nothing. They blew it. So you're right. You're absolutely right. And look, I don't think it should prevent somebody from getting a head coaching job. I really don't. But what I do think is Jonathan Gannon and the Philadelphia defense needs to answer for this. You blew the Super Bowl by by horrible coverage on the two biggest touchdowns you allowed in the 2022 football season. Period. How did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did you blow it? And if I were Michael Bidwill or, or Monty Ostenford, whoever's doing the interview, I would have wanted to know that. Sirianni's losing both of his coordinators to head coaching opportunities. So what does next year look like for him and the Eagles? I know you spent quite a bit of the week around the Eagles and Sirianni. Um, how, how will he forge on with a new coaching staff? Look, I, I interviewed on uh, a Wednesday afternoon during Super Bowl week, Howie Roseman, for about 20 minutes. He was on my podcast last week. He was frank and fantastic, I thought. And I have a lot of admiration for Howie Roseman. He easily, easily, they easily could have won this game. And if they did, it would have been Howie Roseman as the architect of two very distinct Super Bowl championship teams, five years apart, different coach, different quarterback, all different skill players. Okay, but but okay, they lost the game. So where does that leave them now? And I think that is a really interesting question because they have a lot of defensive players, just pieces of the puzzle, who they have to figure out, are we going to pay them or are we going to let them walk? Are we gonna? Are we going to <clears throat> really try to get uh, Jason Kelsey, our potential Hall of Fame center, to come back, or just accept the fact that he's probably had enough and he's going to go? And what about the right guard, Isaac Sumalo, who is an excellent player, uh, who's also going to be a free agent? I think somebody is going to pay him bigger money than the Eagles will. So they may have to replace 40% of their offensive line. But I'll tell you why I'm bullish on the Eagles to come back strong next year. They have the best offensive line coach in football. His name is Jeff Stoutland. He invented a left tackle out of whole cloth. You know, in Jordan Mailata, who is a rugby player out of Australia, and Jeff Stoutland's work has made him an above-average to very good left tackle in the NFL. He's got a great right tackle in Lane Johnson. They're going to be okay on the line because of Stoutland. But, and they're going to be great because of uh, Jalen Hurts. But <clears throat> I think the one thing to think about with this team right now, how many defensive pieces are they going to miss? And I think they're going to lose quite a few of them because, as you guys know, can't pay everybody. Um, you mentioned Jonathan Gannon. Uh, you didn't mention Shane Steichen, but we'll just throw him in the in the mix here since he got the job in Indianapolis. It brings up the age-old question, 
What does Eric Bieniemy have to do to become a head coach in this league? Is the answer any different than it was a year ago or three years ago? Or is he simply pigeonholed as the guy you have to talk to even though you have no intention of hiring him? Well, in this particular year, he interviewed with the Indianapolis Colts. I was told that the Indianapolis Colts, and look, this doesn't mean anything because they didn't hire him. I was told that they were very impressed with him. The whole issue, I think, I, well, I shouldn't say the whole issue, because I can't read Jim Irsay's mind. I can't read Chris Ballard's mind, the general manager in Indianapolis. But the thing I can tell you is that teams put a premium on offensive coordinators who call the plays. Shane Steichen calls the plays. And, you know, in this particular case, Andy Reid calls the plays and Eric Bieniemy does not. Now, I'm not saying that's everything. It isn't everything, obviously. But Shane Steichen calls the plays, and that gives him an advantage when he goes in to do interviews. <laughs> so, to me, I think that's a factor. But I think it all seems a little bit hollow after a while. When Kansas City has had this phenomenal success, and, uh, and, and obviously they have had one. Uh, high-profile offensive assistant, Matt Nagy, get a head coaching job in Chicago and bomb out. And so you say, well, why hasn't the enemy gotten a chance? It's a very good question to ask. And if I were the NFL, I'd be outraged that they went one for five and a two-time Super Bowl-winning offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, is not number two. Peter, let's ask you about the new defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers, Steve Wilkes. He gets to sit down with a group that is, you know, very much ready to go out and play as they are right now. We'll see what the offseason brings him in terms of some fancy new toys, maybe a new interior uh, defensive tackle, maybe a new corner to work with, a safety. What is atop the Wilkes wish list as he gets ready for his first year with Kyle Shanahan? If I were Steve Wilkes, if they asked me if for one player in free agency who I could have, I would say I want Javon Hargrave, the defensive tackle of the Eagles. That is the guy who, in my opinion, is going to get rich somewhere. I don't know where. I don't think Philadelphia will start re-sign him because I think Philadelphia believes in their uh, in their ability to develop and uh, and mine for new players all the time. Um, I mean, it won't shock me if they re-sign Javon Hargrave, but he's been a great player for them. And I think an interior force on the defensive line would be a great thing for Wilkes to add. But, look, I like Steve Wilkes. His players love playing for him. I think it's an excellent hire. And I don't think he has the kind of ego to say, hey, listen, we want you to continue what Robert Sala and uh, and D'Amico Ryan have started. We want to continue with much the same stuff we were doing on offense or on defense. I don't think Steve Wilkes has the kind of ego to say, I have to put my fingerprints all over this. And I'm sure 
that he told Kyle Shanahan in his interview the exact same thing. Uh, next time this year will be the 20th anniversary of the last time a team won back-to-back Super Bowls. If we accept the thin read of history here and assume that the Chiefs will not repeat, who's your best choice to win next year? Eagles. I love Jalen Hurts. <laughs> I love the development program of Howie Roseman. Um, and my number two team there would be either San Francisco uh, or Buffalo. I think Buffalo is going to come back with a vengeance. Um, I think that they got socked in the jaw. They thought that they had everything to build a new, excellent, long-term team. <laughs> and they got beat up by Cincinnati in the playoffs. And look, Cincinnati could come back too. I think Cincinnati's going to start to get picked off a little bit with its players. I think the Bengals got very lucky. They kept their offensive and defensive coordinators, um, you know, from leaving. And I get that. But tell you what, the Bengals cannot pay everybody in this year. They have to pay Joe Burrow and they got, they got to get ready to pay T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. So I don't, I think the draft is going to be really, really important for the Bengals this year. Uh, I, I would say I would say those are the teams that I would expect to see next year. Peter, let's go through a real quick off-season quarterback lightning round, starting with the 49ers week one. Brock Purdy or Trey Lance? Who's starting? Brock Purdy. I just think that Kyle Shanahan is not going to forget eight wins in eight games in huge, huge moments and getting his team within three quarters of playing in the Super Bowl. Derek Carr. How much did the Raiders blow his departure? What's the best landing spot for people to maybe see him in a different light? I don't know enough about what happened this year in Las Vegas to blame either side, but I do know this, that Josh McDaniels was absolutely in love with Derek Carr when I saw McDaniels and Carr together at the end of July. Something happened. It is weird to see them give up Derek Carr for nothing. And I think Carr, just a gut, gut feeling. This is not on any inside information. My gut feeling is he ends up in New Orleans. You have the ability to put Jimmy Garoppolo in the best situation you can. Where are you plopping him? I would put him in Houston. And I would say to whoever Houston is going to draft this year, you are going to be like Carson Palmer, his rookie year in Cincinnati when he had John Kitna. This will be different. Jimmy Garoppolo is better than John Kitna was. But you are going to sit and learn from a respected, smart NFL veteran. You tell Jimmy Garoppolo, we're signing you for two years. You're our guy. We want you to be our guy long term. But there are no guarantees. We just don't know. And look, <laughs> is it possible that a team like the Jets could blow him out of the water with a huge offer. It's possible. But my gut feeling, and that's all it is, is that the Jets are really going to try to try hard to sign Aaron Rodgers. My last question for you, Peter. What's your gut telling you the Bears do with Justin Fields? And if they were to trade him, what's a fair ask? In my opinion, I think the Chicago Bears would be idiots to trade Justin Fields. Idiots. Period. Here's the reason. 
he showed you enough before he got totally beat up this year that you don't need to get rid of you don't need to get rid of Justin Fields. You need to get two more wide receivers on this team. And and I I have to tell you, after watching football this year, I am shocked. You draft a quarterback high in the first round <laughs> to be your guy long term. I want you to tell me one thing that Justin Fields hasn't done to deserve a third year and, and, and all that. And and quite honestly, if Justin Fields isn't the guy, is there anybody in this draft who is a no-doubt guy who you're going to take number one overall? Right. Andrew Luck's not waiting. Is. Yeah, you got to keep you got to keep Justin Fields. Peter, every single week we get to tap into your connections, your wisdom, your view of the league, and it makes us a better show. It makes our audience a more informed audience, and we thank you again for another outstanding year. I don't know, I don't know how the the year was for the NFL. But you had a hell of a year, Peter King. Thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it, Damon. Thanks, Ray. You guys take care. Thank you very, very much. Peter King. Good stuff. All year long, good stuff with Peter King. And I agree with him. Just in terms of Justin Fields. He's in an unwinnable situation. So all you're looking for is improvement. There was massive improvement from year one to year two. So what would be the dumbest decision the Bears could make at quarterback? That's probably what they'll do. <laughs> well, they now they'll keep him. They won't draft quarterback, but they also won't improve all the other areas of the team that made them three and fourteen. So sounds it, about right. Yeah, I mean, I just you know, I I'm not sure that their decision on Justin Fields makes them the dumbest team in football. But it's everything else that makes them the dumbest team in football. Awesome stuff from Peter King. When we come on back, we'll squeeze in a call or two before we get to a conversation. We've been really looking forward to so much has happened to the Warriors since the last time we said hello to Steve Kerr. He joins us live at 5. And that is coming up next year in our longest commercial-free segment of the entire afternoon. Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game brought to you by Fremont Bank. Full-service banking. No compromises. Back to Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game. It's a Warriors Wednesday here on 95.7 The Game. And we're going to prove that when Steve Kerr joins us right at 5 o'clock. Brought to you by Friedman's Appliance, a trusted name in the Bay Area since 1922. Visit FriedmansAppliance.com today. Again, Warriors Wednesday. And Ray, you and I have sort of an interesting little bit of a distraction on TV. And I wonder if Steve Kerr might be distracted by the same thing that we are anticipating. We'll see here in just a matter of moments. Because tonight in Boston, the Detroit Pistons are taking on the Celtics. And James Wiseman is not on the court right now. But... In 10 minutes from now, when Steve joins us, he might be. He may have made his Pistons debut. Oh, there he is. I see him just walking around. He's still got a T-shirt on. But James Wiseman is wearing a Pistons uniform, and he will be playing for the Detroit Pistons, one would assume, right when we're talking to Steve. How ironic. Yeah, I bet he is watching. I mean, he, well, he says he, he watches games. And even though he's got nine days off, essentially... Um, 
I think his intellectual curiosity might just get the better of him for at least one night. I don't know that he'd make a well, habit of it, but right, right. He's not getting this, you know season piston season pass to make sure he can watch all James Wiseman games from here on out yeah. like an interested parent. But look. I, I genuinely believe that he likes, got along with, and wishes the kid very, very well. I don't think Steve is one of those, like, rubbing his hands together, hoping it fails so he looks more right when it's all said and done about James Wiseman. I, I don't think Steve is like that. So He's also beyond that because he has four rings. Ex- exactly. It's, it's, yeah, it, he, it's, doesn't, he, he doesn't have to sit there and hope that other people fail for him to be successful yeah although this year there are about six or seven other teams he hopes fails just so they can get a decent seat no doubt about it they are uh sort of you know a team counting on the west to break around them as much as they are a team that hasn't been able to break through the west and you can't really break through anything when you are 29 and 29 and is 500 as the definition of a 500 basketball team can be. I mean, the Warriors haven't been better than two wins over 500. They've never been worse than four games below 500. I think the longest winning streak that they've had all year is a five-game winning streak. I don't know if there's ever been an NBA champion who didn't have anything better than a five-game winning streak. I would have to actually look that up and I don't have the time since we're in the middle of a live segment here right now ready to look that up but um, it doesn't feel like it's it's really out there and they've just been painfully frustrating because they're so painfully in the middle and there's so much jumble in the middle it's hard to make of of you know what he's got someone's like Kerr's got nine rings we're talking about the rings as a coach that's that's what we're talking about feel free to catch up and play along at home I, I was. Are you done chastising the person that you've never met before? Yes. Okay. Um, no, I. Th- you know, they are again. Their biggest hopes have been muscle memory. Like they've done it before. They think they can flip it on again. And the fact that they are no worse off right now than the Clippers, and they're no better off than Oklahoma City. There are eight teams that they are in competition with for anywhere from a bye during the, you know, during the play-in tournament to being being a 10 seed or, God forbid, worse. Well, not God forbid. God doesn't care. Um, so I think those are, the, those are the reads that they've got to rely on because they can't guarantee that they're not going to continue to be good one night then bad the next. And that's, you know, that I think is probably the central theme of this season. It's not that they're terrible at anything. It's that they're terrible when compared to far better Warriors teams, but they're no better and no worse than another about 16 teams in the league. Right. It's it's not the worst defensive team in basketball. It's just the worst defensive team of the Steve Kerr era for any of the teams that have mattered and counted in the Steve Kerr era because the year wasn't dashed due to injuries before we tipped off game one. So that's where the level of frustration is. You know, it's it's easy almost to be less frustrated with a team that's worse because you're not constantly teased. You're not constantly reminded like, hey, they, this could be a lot better than it actually is. And that's what the Warriors have been. They've been two steps forward, three steps backwards 
all season long, and they've never really come off the pace. Again, if if the entire season was measured on an EKG, there aren't a lot of dramatic peaks and valleys. It's just all flatlining. Yeah. It, yeah. It's just, it's, you know, I mean, there are only so many ways you can hammer this flat and try to figure out trying to get a different shape. And there really isn't one right now. And I don't know that there will be any signs of that until Stephen Curry comes back. And even then, who knows? Because they weren't particularly wonderful when he was playing. No. So, yeah. you know, I my advice to Warrior fans, such as it is, is drink. Get it ready. Stay drunk until you get something, some indication that things might change. Because game in and game out, they haven't. To your lips or in the air, be ready to go in one of two directions. Oh, both. This is Leo in San Francisco. Leo, you're on 95.7 The Game. What do you got? Hey, gentlemen, how are you doing today? Very well, thanks. Um, you know, I, this issue, uh, listening to Myers earlier and, and anticipating what Kerr is going to say in his interview, um, you know, I think the bottom line, and Ray touched on this earlier, this was not about anything more, this trade of Wiseman to trade, anything more than about money, uh, all about money. If you look at from a basketball perspective, and we know what we've been talking about and hearing all day, that the perimeter defense is really weak. Well, what do you need on the backside? Well, they've been complaining. You hear everybody say, well, they need more size back there. Uh, you know, if you have if your perimeter defense is that weak, then, you know, you should have a shot blocker back there. And if you got somebody who's seven foot on your roster who has demonstrated he could block some shots and, and at, at best maybe alter some shots, rebound a little bit, uh, and, and make up for that, uh, you know, the perimeter defense that can't seem to stop the uh, dribble drives, uh, why would you get rid of them if it's not all about money? So, I, I, you know, I know Curry's going to, you know, say, you know, uh, Gary Payton third, he helped us win championship. Well, not really help him secure a third seed. He didn't play most of the Memphis games when he got hurt. He didn't play at all in, in the conference finals or the NBA finals. So, you know, to trade for him and think that somehow, you know, a nurse-sized guard, and I, I'm not taking anything away from it because he played well during the season, is going to, you know, change um, the complexion of this team. If you listen to what Draymond says, Draymond says, you know, it's a collective that need to play defense. Well, and, and so hold on, Leo, I, I, I love your TED talk, but he did play in the NBA finals. Gary Payton did, and he will hopefully provide them some point of attack defense. And that's one of the areas that Steve says they need to, you know, improve in. And when it comes to Wiseman, and him just being dumped over cash. There's no doubt that the money was involved. But if you did have a player who lived up to all what you'd think, you know, the, the stereotypical results that you'd get with the big man, defending the rim, rebounds, all of that backline defense that you were talking about, Leo, if he were those things, he'd still be on the team. He'd still be playing. And this team would happily have paid the tax. They didn't want to pay the tax on a player who wasn't the promise of his physical attributes at this point in time for them. And obviously, and I wonder if Steve will admit to this when we talk to him in just a handful of minutes. If they really, truly, honestly thought that even two or three years from now, he was going to turn into the player that would then help them, I think they would have gone through the growing pains still. 
I think they would have. I don't think they would have made a cut him, save money decision if they really thought that they were looking at a top-of-the-line NBA front court player as soon as he grew into his body and now the puppy's big enough to fit his paws. I, I, I think that they would have bit any financial bottom lip to have kept the right player. James Wiseman wasn't the right player. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, and let we should never lose sight of this, their window, such as it is, for a championship is still open. But it's not going to be open for a long time. But that makes you more impatient about things you wanted to be patient about earlier in the year. And when they went shopping to see what they could get, it seems pretty clear to me, at least through inference, that there wasn't much of a market for him, which I think we could have anticipated given the fact that he has no resume. And so what they did was have to get other teams involved because I don't think they went into the trade market saying, we need Gary Payton Jr. By the way, I'm not to interrupt you, Ray, but he's out there. James Wiseman wearing number 13 for the Detroit Pistons. Well, he's out there. Yeah, he just said a bad pick, but he did. I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to micromanage anymore. Um, no, I think this was the. I think they viewed this as the best they could do, and I think it probably was the best they could do since they waited till the end to do it. Uh, it just, you know, they had finally said, you know what? If we're going to make a run here, we can't. We can't carry a guy. We can't play. You know, they they're at already the doing. Time, that, though, they're already hey, doing that with with Andre Iguodala, right. who at least has a resume. But Wiseman sitting on the bench, not playing, didn't prevent them from winning last year. That's true. But what I'm saying is, you know, you're not going to carry him again when you don't have better alternatives on the floor night in and night out. Let me quickly welcome everyone here on a Warriors Wednesday to your five o'clock hour. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one. They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.